What is up, Mentors Collective? Do you hear how sexy that sounds? This is my first uh, podcast on the Shore SM7B. Uh, happy Cyber Monday to me. But anyways, on this uh, episode, I've got a good friend to talk about one of my favorite topics and the most fun, if you really frame it that way, in business, but also scares the most people away. And if you can guess what I'm referring to before I say it, good for you. But that thing is sales. People are scared to do it. They're scared to talk to people, but there is no better profession and skill in the world that will get you to six figures faster with less training. So in this episode, I, I have a friend who I met at, at Funnel Hacking. He is one of the foremost experts that I talk to, and I asked him to join me today to have a discussion about some closing tactics, some follow-up tactics, some ways that you can get into sales and build your repertoire of skills as a salesman so you can get to that six-figure mark really, really fast. Uh, and there's no better person that I can think of to have this conversation. So uh, Brian Morrell was one of, Al, was one of Tony Robbins' top sales trainers, and he's here with you today to give you value. So let's thank Brian for being here. And Brian, I appreciate your time, brother. Welcome. Yeah, man. I'm feeling good about being here. Thank you for that awesome intro, man. I'm feeling like I'm six foot eight. Um, and I appreciate it, man. You guys are kicking ASS where you're at as well. I know you know a lot about sales, man. So I'm I'm happy to share what I know and also uh, happy to toss the rock back and forth with you as well. Same here. Feeling six eight. That's a how tall is Tony Robbins? He's about six six, six, six seven. seven. Six seven. What a monster. Yeah, what was that a, like working for tumor, him? He had a tumor on his pituitary gland. Um, so he's got gigantic syndrome, which is why he's swole up pretty big. Yeah, I, I did actually research that a ton. I come from a medical background. Tony Robbins has a pituitary adenoma. He makes an abnormal amount of growth hormone. His doctors back in the day uh, told him that he should take it out or he can die. Uh, so he got a whole bunch of opinions and realized that he wasn't having all the negative side effects of having gigantism, which is the disease. He's just ha having the positive effects, which is more energy. He's bigger. Uh, he's able to do the, what he does on stage for longer. So it's funny, he literally has a superpower uh, that was put in there and is not doing any damage that he knows of. Uh, so it's pretty incredible, just a fun fun little riff there. Uh, but what was that like working for him? Dude, it was, the, it was probably one of the coolest experiences of my life, man. When you get a chance to work with someone who's not just like great at business, but also has, like if you, when I look for like mentors or people to follow and, and people who to model after, I, I look at people who, not just like are great in one asset of their life, but at all facets of their life. And Tony's one of those guys who walks the walk and talks the talk. So if you look at everything that he's accomplished, he walks in the, in the path that he set his life for versus most people give you a bunch of like words and then their feet don't match up with what they're saying. Um, Tony's the exact opposite of that. So working with him, it's intense. Um, the dude is an absolute animal. I don't know if it has to do with the growth hormone or just who he is, but I mean, he's working... 18 hour days and he doesn't have to, he's almost a billionaire. So private jets, the whole thing. And he's still grinding. He's got a schedule from the moment that he wakes up to the moment he goes to bed. And he's got assistants that live with him at his house, like four or five that live with him full time. The dude doesn't get a drop of sweat from the top of his forehead to the bottom of his forehead without someone helping him figure it out. So it's intense. And there's a lot to learn, um, endless pool of learning from that guy. It's so funny what life looks like at that level. And you're right. He's like the perfect example of the guy who's made it in all aspects of life. Uh, is There is no other Tony Robbins. So it must have been so cool being a part of that sales organization, soaking in all of that knowledge from literally what I would consider the master of communication, 
and also a master of business. So I'm, I'm pumped to kind of pick your brain and hear what you learned there and what you're applying in your own uh, company sell up. Uh, but let's just dive in, you know, how did like, why sales, why is sales your thing? And, and talk to me a little bit about the journey. Yeah, man. If, if you're not watching this video um, and you're listening right now, just know that I have a smile from ear to ear because whenever the word sales gets brought up, I just think about uh, the thing that saved my life, both literally and figuratively. I was thinking about ending everything and I was making like $45,000 a year as a junior high school PE teacher. And quite literally, sales completely changed the trajectory of my life. I chose sales because it is the fastest way for someone to make a whole lot of money with not a high barrier of entry, right? So most most things right now, like entrepreneurship is over-sexualized, right? Like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but I don't think they quite understand everything that you've probably gone through, Jay, and what your partner has probably gone through by starting your own business. It's not always an easy road because there's there's inventory, there's people to manage, there's bills to pay, not, not, not just that, but the stress and everything that comes along with being a business owner. And I tell people like, be a business owner. I don't ever discourage someone not to be an entrepreneur, but if you're trying to make a lot of money, like multiple six figures a year, the fastest way to do that is probably not starting your own business. It's probably being a part of a business that already is at seven, eight and nine figures, and then going to where the money transfers hands. So like the reason I love sales is because there are trillions of dollars that transfer hands every single day in this country. And if you can be the person that gets people to transfer that money and get a cut of that money without having to deal with all the headache of running your own business, the marketing, the, 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 the running a team, then I suggest getting into sales plus, uh, and I, I'll, I'll be short winded on this one, but it is the, it is the universal skill that every position on planet earth, is needs like it doesn't matter if you're a doctor it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer it doesn't matter if you're a business owner it doesn't matter if you sit behind a computer at some point you are going to need to influence another human being to either get a raise to get a job to ask someone out on a date it's the universal skill that almost everyone should learn if they want to be successful at life so for me uh sales is 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 not just like a uh, a career path but it is is essential for being a killer and rock star human being. Man, Brian, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I just want to add a couple of things for those listening yeah, please. and thinking of getting into sales. Like you said, lower barrier to entry and the commissions that you can make sometimes on a recurring basis on some of the products or services or applications that you can sell with these established companies are absurd. My business partner, Scott, his older sister is the VP of sales at Salesforce, one of the VPs. She's actually responsible for the lar largest single sale in Salesforce history. And she got a seven figure commission from a single sale. It's absolutely ludicrous. And just to kind of piggyback a little bit further with no formal training in anything, you don't have to go to college even. You don't have to have any technical knowledge of any computers or anything whatsoever. And you can still make six figures in sales. I don't know what other profession in the world you can say that about. And it's fun work. Being part of a, a, a sales team with a sales culture, it's a blast. So if you're listening to this and thinking about getting into sales, I highly recommend it. If you don't fully know what to do and you like talking to people, uh, there, there's no better opportunity in the world. So with that being said, Brian, why do you think so many people are scared of sales? Why do you think it has such a bad rep? 
Yeah. Well, there's a few things. Um, a lot of people should be scared of selling because it does have, it has a bad rap for a lot of reasons. Back in the 1980s, the 1990s and early 2000s, sales was all about how do I close somebody? How do I win? How do I beat them? And how do I get what I want? Right. And what we're starting to notice in today's society, right? We live in an open environment. We have, everyone has access to people's social medias. They know, they, they want to know what you do for your workouts. They want to know what your kids' names are. They want to know everything about you as the business owner and you as a human being before they do business with you. And in fact, they can find out more about your business than you'll be able to tell them on a sales call. So most people have a negative connotation towards sales because back in the day, sales was gross, man. Like you think of that used car salesman who just trying to get something from you. But the best salespeople today are not closers. They're openers. That's what we use at our company. They're openers. They're people who open up revenue streams for someone. They open up a new way of thinking. They open up opportunities for people. They open up a relationship for somebody, right? When someone joins a company that we sell for or joins Otter PR, which is the company that you do, they, they're, they're opening a relationship for you. They're opening up a new channel to become an authority in their space. They're not closing anything. And so most salespeople who get into it just for the money, they're going to find success. But what, what happens is, is they don't find long-term success. They find short-term success and either they burn out or they burn the people that they're with. And if you're that transactional salesperson, someone's going to fire you. What that means is not the business owner, but someone on social media is going to fire you by telling people the way that you treated them, so on and so forth. So I think most people are afraid of it because of what salespeople have done in the past because there are bad actors in the space. Right. Also, it's just down to that fundamental human psychology, right? It's, am I enough? Every human being on planet Earth has one fundamental belief. Am I enough? Am I doing enough? Um, and am I enough so that I can be loved enough, right? That's the fundamental desire of every human being on planet Earth. When you put yourself out there in sales, you're putting yourself out there to be rejected. And if someone rejects you, a, a, a lower brain, brainstem thinker will think, they're rejecting me as a human being, and therefore I'm not good enough. And so that fear response that people have towards rejection um, keeps people from getting into the business. And it's they should be fearful for not offering solutions. And I, I'm sure we can go into that here in a little bit. But I I, I would like to know, because you, you made career shifts. I've, I've done some research on you. And um, you you went from being a very professional environment in the medical field to getting into owning your own business here, but you have to do sales every single day, I'm sure. So what was that transition like for you? Uh, so I will say I don't do sales anymore, but obviously when you're starting a company, you're everything. So for the first year, maybe the first two years, me and my co-founder were the ones doing almost all of the sales, if not all of them. Uh, the transition was interesting. And I will say, even when I was in medical school, I still owned companies. I had my, I, I started my first business between college and medical school. And that was like a tutoring slash essay writing company. So I was, I was doing sales all along, but it's not just sales. It's the marketing, it's the branding, it's everything that goes along with it. The transition was kind of awesome. And I, I won't say it was like a hard transition because I was already doing business. I was just leaving behind mm. the thing that I hated to do and what wake up, I would wake up every morning and like, just so upset that I had to go into the hospital and like get yelled at and do notes. It just, it wasn't my people. It wasn't my, 
it wasn't where I envisioned myself for the, for the next 10 years. So the transition, I don't want to say was easy because starting a company and building a company is never easy. It's, it's Ooh. a nightmare, but I was, you know, putting in 12 to 14 hour days, six days a week in the hospital. So in terms of work ethic, I was now able to work on something that I actually wanted to work on. So it was nice. Uh, and for, for those entrepreneurs thinking, I don't want to start a company because I can't sell, or I don't know if I can start a company because I'm not good at sales. You're going to have a hard time if you're bootstrapping and you don't want to sell because when you're starting something, you have to wear those hats. You have to sell, you have to market, you have to brand, you have to build systems and operations. And it's not until you're able to have a certain level of success or funding where you can start to hire out and think about filling in those gaps. Uh, but, but thank you for the question. Uh, and just to kind of uh, go along with where we were uh, prior, for the framing for salespeople, like we, we still imagine the old greasy car salesman when we think about a salesman. But if we think about what a salesperson is now and what it should be, it's a product that you believe in and you're having and you're handholding and facilitating the transfer of that product and service to somebody who really needs it. And if you think about sales that way, it becomes less car salesman and becomes more of a of an executive white white glove position. And that's really what it is nowadays, especially with services like us, high ticket services, high ticket software. Uh, and it's a really important distinction. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, it's it's one of those soft skills that um, even even as a business owner, right? Like if you're removed from the sales process, like replace the word sales with influence, right? Right? Like there, like if you whoever's listening to this right now, whether you're in a car on the in, at the gym or at home, like look around and name one thing that wasn't sold. Hundred percent. And then and if you're things... looking at your wife. If you're looking at your wife, guess what? Eventually you had to influence her to, to go out on a date with you. Everything is about influencing other human beings, right? And um, I frame it in this way, like how dare you get on a call with somebody and have a solution that could better their life or better their position or better their business and then not offer it to them. Exactly. And sales is simply giving people a solution to their problems or helping them progress their life in some way, progress their life or progress their business. And all you're doing is showing that your software, your service, your offering provides a solution for them. And it's disrespectful not to offer your services to them, if, especially if you know that it solves a problem for them. And sales is just solving problems. And you'll tell me what you think, but uh, it, I think there's nothing that kills a sales team or salesperson faster than not believing in the product or service that you're yes. selling. The conviction goes away. The salesperson kind of loses that fire uh, and your business probably isn't going to last very long. So ideally, if you're in a good sales role, you're selling something that you do truly believe in. If you're selling something that you don't believe in or that you know or think does not work, then you should probably leave and find something else to sell. Uh, because that's just not a good situation for, for anybody involved. Would you agree? I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. If you, if, if you don't 100% believe in your product and service that you're selling, get out. No one's Perfect. forcing you to be there. And, and if you have the skill of influence or if you know sales, then that is a universal skill that can go get you a job anywhere. So if you are legit and you are good at what you're doing, um, then you'll be able to transfer that skill to anyone um, and be able to transfer that skill to any type of offering. So 
get out and, and go get go get an opportunity that you feel in flow with. And Brian, let's let's talk for a little bit about some tactics to help people get better at and master their, their sales techniques. Yeah. Uh, and like we're not greasy car salesmen here, but there is still certainly strategies that you can use to improve your closing rates because those are important. Um, you don't want to scare people off and there's a lot of ways to do that. And like you said, it's influence. And sometimes it's as simple as using the right words that can make a big difference. So let's talk about some of the some of the things that you can avoid first, like some of the things that can scare a customer off and blow a sale. What should people not do? Yeah. So what you're referring to is sales resistance. That's what pushes people away, right? So there's a, there's certain language patterns, right? I want you to hear this on the other side of the, wherever you're listening to this. There's certain language patterns that repel people and there's certain language patterns that bring people in. If you use the wrong language powers, patterns, you can have the highest intentions. You can have the best offering on planet Earth, but you're going to repel people because at the end of the day, until the robots take over, we have to interact as human beings together. And most of communication is nonverbal. Like 55% of communication is nonverbal. 37 to 38% of communication is pitch and tone, which means less than 7% or 8% of the actual influence you have are the words that come out of your mouth. And so when you think about it like that, it is important that if you have a great product and service that you're representing it well with the language patterns that you're using. So really quick tip, if you're a salesperson or you're thinking about getting a salesperson or you're asking someone else on out on date, never use these two words. Never use these two words. But or however. Never use the word but or however. Unless you're singing a Sir Mix-a-Lot song, never use the word but. Why? Because... If you use the word but or however, it negates everything that that prospect said before you started talking. So, example, if Jay, if Jay was trying to sell me his microphone that he's using, or if I'm trying to sell the microphone that Jay's using right now, and he shares his opinion about different microphones, I would say, I totally understand what you're saying, but I think you should do it this way. That immediately makes him feel devalued. And it immediately makes him feel like what he said wasn't important. And the number one skill or the number one thing that you need to do to influence other people is make people feel good because people don't buy things. They buy the way that those things make them feel. That's why you buy the Louis Vuitton. That's why you buy the shoes that you wear because they make you feel a certain way. And so using the word but or however is the first way to make people not feel good about you or have the wrong energy towards them. Replace the word but and however with the word and. Hey, I really appreciate that you shared that with me, Jay. And it might be valuable for you to consider it this way, right? So the word and softens the blow a little bit and it adds to what they're saying versus negating it. So that's one tip for you. I love that. That's one that I've learned in the past and is super powerful. It's funny how semantics and words can make such a big difference in the impact that you leave on people. And that's just yes. like one little thing out of a treasure drove of tactics that you can apply to get better at sales. So. Highly recommend people do a sales training. I don't care which one. There's a lot of good ones out there. Brian, I'm sure you'll have recommendations, but let's save those for the end because that, that'll be some good stuff. Uh, what are some closing tactics that you use? Because closing takes on a bad rep too. And you hear closer, let's close him, see how many deals we can close. It sounds like you're just trying to get a dollar. But at the same time, if you if you don't close somebody, the next guy will. Uh, and that's yeah. just kind of one of those sad truths. So what are some closing tactics that people can apply or implement to help get that deal through a little bit faster? 
Yeah, yeah. This is something that I train on. It's an eight-week training. I'll try and give it to you in the next like 80 seconds. It's if you're dealing with a lot of objections at the end of your sales call and you're having a really hard close, you've done something wrong at the beginning or the middle of the sales cycle, right? So the more objections there are at the end of the sales cycle, the crummier of a job that you did in the middle of the sales cycle. And so the first thing I would say, if you want to be a great closer, you got to be a great listener. You got to understand the wants, needs, and desires of the person that you're speaking to. The first thing that you want to do is what's called mind reading. Everyone say it out loud. One, two, three, mind reading. Mind you reading. want to read the mind of your prospect. You want to meet the mind of your prospect. You should know, right, that your prospect has certain pain points and that they may want or desire certain things before you get on the call. And so you set up the call in a way where you ask them what they want, why do they want it, why it's important to them, and then you guide them. Okay, you don't force their hand, but you guide them to deeper wants and desires and deeper pains, right? You help them sensationalize the desires that they want and sensationalize the pain of not obtaining those desires. By creating that polarization, remember, every decision we do or do not make is a balance between pain and pleasure. And so if I can get the prospect to feel all the things that they want to feel, should they get or move forward with our service and how crummy it might feel for them to continue to perpetuate the problem that got them on the call in the first place, my likelihood of closing goes up significantly. And research shows if you do HubSpot research or a bunch of different platforms, you can find this, but the best sales closers report closing the least amount on their sales calls. What does that mean? It means that the, the people who are the highest performers don't use a lot of closing techniques. The highest performers have great conversations and find a way to naturally elicit pain or pleasure during the sales cycle. So the, to sum this all up for anyone who's listening is you want to have your prospect associate in their mind more pleasure to the word yes and your product and service and more pain in staying where they're at or not moving forward. You do that by asking them what they want and then asking them about the things that are preventing them from getting what they want. Do you ever feel like that's over, over beaten now? I, whenever I'm talking to a salesperson nowadays, whether it's a high ticket software seller, someone's trying to sell me a service. Uh, sometimes I just like talking to salespeople and letting them try and try and get me just to improve my skills and see what's out there. But I see this pattern over and over again. It's like, oh, you what are you struggling with that? Oh, what would, what would, it, mm. what would you feel like? What would your emotions be like if you had mm. this result? And I'm just like, man, this guy is not even trying to have a conversation. He's running through a script that somebody gave him. That's going to try and elicit a response from me. And I've just heard it so many times. And maybe because I'm trained that yes. I'm a little bitter to it. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's called the law of familiarity, right? So um, just like marketing, right? There are certain channels that work and then eventually you have to switch it, switch it up because what used to work didn't work, right? Example right. of uh, newspapers, right? If newspaper was your primary way of getting your brand known, there was at one point in the early 2000s where that became a really bad form of advertisement, right? And so it's the same thing in sales. If you're going through the same cadence that every salesperson has gone through, the buyer or the market understands that already. They may not like know the techniques that you're using if they're not in sales, but they understand the pace. And as soon as they feel like they're being sold, they're going to create sales resistance, right? And then they're going to feel guarded. So what we've done at our company is we actually flip the model on the head. Most people get on a sales calls within the first five minutes or within the first 15 seconds, or sorry, 15% of the sales call, they immediately go to, well, what's wrong? 
what problems are you holding? What, what hurdles are you going through? Right. And everyone knows, like, stop asking me what's going wrong. Maybe I have a great business. Maybe things are going great. First, ask me what I want. Right. So, you know, this as uh, being um, um, going to medical school. Right. When you go to a doctor. Right. The doctor doesn't just like ask you a bunch of questions around like what went wrong. They also ask you, what are some of your your outcomes if you're looking to use the hip or your elbow or your shoulder, whatever it is. They want to know where you're taking it, because if you're a major league pitcher versus a major league couch potato, right, the rehabilitation process is going to be very different. The couch potato has a lot of time. The major league uh, pitcher does not have a lot of time to fix their elbow or their shoulder. Right. So the outcomes may be similar, but the way you go about the rehabilitation process is going to be very, very different. So for our sales team, we don't focus on problem first. We focus on what are your objections in the next six to 12 months? And we try and bring those objections forward. So we want to do what we want to do is bring whatever it is that they desire. Right. If I am a major league pitcher and I'm trying to pitch in the World Series in six weeks, I need to know that. Right. Versus I'm a major league couch potato, I may not use my elbow again for six months, right? I want to understand what they want because for me, I, I, like, I used to be a school teacher. Like, I don't like just getting people to do things for the sake of getting them to do things. I have to know what you want. And by understanding what you want, then I can backtrack the conversation and say, okay, well, based off of what you want, what do you feel like or what do you know that has been getting in your way? But never asking the pain question before asking the pleasure question. Because so many people are used to that. And millennials and specifically, that we were, we were raised okay, specifically on uh, trophies and praise and positive reinforcement. That's what our generation was raised on, positive reinforcement. Versus our parents' generation, they were raised on negative reinforcement. And so you're going to turn off a lot of millennials if you only use negative reinforcement. You have to use the strategies that they know. So where are they trying to go? What do they want to get? How can you build them into the future? It's called future pacing. Asking them questions that bring the future forward in their mind because the brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So if you can get them to imagine what that microphone would look like, feel like, sound like, and how to make your podcast the best podcast on planet Earth, right? And it would help that sweet, sensual voice of yours, Jay, sound even more crisp on this podcast. Like knowing that and feeling that and experiencing that before I go into well, what kind of microphone do you use today? What's the, what's the problem with your microphone today? Those are all JV questions, right? And it's time for most of our salespeople to graduate to varsity. Care about your prospects by asking what they actually want. That's interesting. And, and I guess goes to your point with not doing this, the, the same thing that's been beaten to death for a decade, which is yes. sell to pain, which is what a lot of uh, formal sales teachers will tell you to do, identify the pain point and sell them on fixing that pain point. So I love your approach. I think that's uh, it's pretty innovative. Uh, one I think there other- are some universal things really quick. There are some universal yeah. things, right? Like like there are some cadences, right? Some syntax to, to a certain sales call, right? But there are principles that are timeless that are never gonna go away. We are still human beings at this point, right? So like most people, do move faster to avoid pain than they do to gain pleasure. So you can't right. not use pain during the sales cycle. It's right. just how you use it, right? It's just the cadence and the syntax in which you use it. If your 80% of your sales call is focused on what's stopping someone, you're going to make them feel like shit. And people don't buy when they feel like shit. They buy when they feel powerful. 
So it's it, you have to still give them that that experience, but you 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 can't lead with it if that makes sense. That's that's our frame of looking at it. No, I agree with you, and it's it's funny how complicated so many products and conversations can be, where you really can't just copy and paste this one strategy that you that you just mentioned into every single sales organization, because a lot of products are a little bit more pain based versus goal based, and and people are different. Uh, and that's what I wanted to speak about too, the person that you're talking to. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've Im implemented any DISC personality assessments or anything similar in your organization, or if that's something that you think about when you're talking uh, to prospects or leads. And if you're listening to this and not familiar with DISC, uh, it basically categorizes you into DISC and, and really teaches you how to interact with these different personality types, which I think can be very important and tactical. If you can quickly identify which personality type that you're talking to on a sales call and then sell through that personality type. Brian, is that anything that, you're, that you've done in your organization or are familiar with? Yeah, and just to give some people an analogy, because I love what you're saying and it's so true. It's not changing your personality to try and influence someone. It's giving them the flavor that they want and the flavor that resonates with their psychology, right? So it, I, my first job in high school was working at Baskin Robbins, 31 flavor, right? And what I learned very quickly when someone came in and they wanted samples of Rocky Road, you don't offer them chocolate chip, right? Because they came in, they came in there with knowing what they want. Their flavor is Rocky Road, right? right? And I don't want to try and convince them to eat chocolate chip. So when you think about the different personality types, like the DISC model, we, we have four personality types in ours too. We call them uh, directors, connectors, we call them mismatchers, and then we also call them processors and analyzers. But there's, there's different personality types. It, all it is is giving them the flavor that they want, right? They still came in to get ice cream. It's just making sure that through your language patterns, through your tonality, through the style of conversation, that you're giving them the flavor that is going to give them the outcome that they desire versus speaking to every prospect the way that you want to talk to them. It's speaking right. to people in the way that they want to hear it. And that's what a responsible communicator does is they don't take responsibility for what the words that come out of their mouth. They take responsibility for how those words landed, for how their influencing skills landed with the person on the other side of the call. And when you can get to that level, it's lights out because now you can flex and flow between the different personality types. So yes, we use them in our, at our company very, very frequently. And um, it's one of the first things we look at when we're reviewing sales calls is, well, this person was, was a little bit more of a dominant A type of personality. We call those directors. The last thing that you want to talk about is what your cat had for breakfast, right? right. They don't care. They want to know how are you going to get them what they want as quickly as they need it. Um, and so it's one of the most powerful things you can do because it's just a, another tool or another lever. And if you're on the other side of this call, like, oh, that's a good idea. Remember that like these small shifts make a massive difference over time in your sales career. Right. And just implementing like the and versus the but or these personality types or what Jay is talking about is not leaning on pain too much. Like those three things right there can transform how much money you make, the difference and the impact you're able to make in someone's life. Just those three things right there. And it's funny when you start stacking these skills, how dangerous you can become in sales. So dangerous and so fun. Uh, so one other thing, obviously you, you, the sales process, you get a lead, you talk to that lead, usually figure out what their pain points are, sometimes put together a proposal, oftentimes have a follow-up call and then several follow-ups 
uh, from then until they, they finally end up paying and closing. People get really hung up on the follow-up process. People get scared to annoy people uh, and pester them, uh, text them, call them. What are your thoughts on follow-up? Do you have a standard practice that you follow and you recommend? Yep. Uh, 80% of sales go to the person who follows up five or more times. So if you think that uh, following up is uh, creepy, weird, pushy, um, it's creepy and weird not to follow up with someone if they spent their 30 minutes talking to you on the phone and then you're still not offering them a solution. It's weird that you wouldn't give them a shot, especially if you care, right? This goes back down to your belief, Jay. Like you guys have such an amazing product and service. I've seen what you guys do. I know your character. Like you believe in it so much. And the person on the other side of the call that like, I can't not follow up with them because I know how much it can help their business. I can, I know how much it can help them grow. So how dare I put my own feelings ahead of their needs? I'll say that again. How dare I put my own feelings about following up or being creepy ahead of the clients or the prospects needs. The prospect needs reinforcement. The prospect needs you to follow up because they can't, they have so much going on throughout their day. You have to be empathetic to knowing that they may have kids. They have a business they are running. They're putting out fires at work. They're, they're dealing with personal issues. They don't have time to think about all the things that you talk to them on a call about. Your job is to put it in front of them so they don't forget so that you can support them. One of the things that most salespeople struggle with is following up and then getting ghosted. Oh, no. I've gotten ghosted before. Ghosted means, for those of you who are over the age of 50, ghosted means that you've reached out to somebody and they, they just like stop talking to you. All right. And most salespeople, and this comes down to psychology. This is what we love talking about. Most salespeople assume, especially JV salespeople, that if that person didn't respond to me, then I must have done something wrong or they're not interested when it could have nothing to do with you or your product or your service. It could have everything to do with what is happening in their everyday life. And so when someone ghosts you, the last thing you want to do is come off needy, right? You don't want to come off like, hey, just following up. You never use the word, oh, just following up. Always look to create value. What is something that you can give away in the, in the follow-up process that you still follow up, but you just don't use those words, right? What are, what are some of the valuable pieces of content or literature or something that you can give them to show the, and demonstrate value when you're reaching out, not I'm looking to get something from you? And then finally, we have a Hail Mary text. Can I share it with, with everyone? Yeah, let's hear the Hail, Hail Mary, Hail Mary text. text. I'm excited for this one. I'm going to mark the clip so we can- If you all want the Hail Mary roll. text, get those phalanges ready. Type this thing out, okay? The Hail Mary text, you have to use humor. Stop making sales so serious. Um, we have uh, an insane response rate with this one message, especially what with young it? people. Maybe not try with older people, but try with younger people. It says this, okay, something along the lines. I might butcher it, but this is the text we send if, like, they haven't responded to us in weeks, right? And we've been trying, and it's like a Hail Mary. Here we go. It is, hey, X name, right? Hey, J. Um, back in 2008, I asked a girl out to prom, and she ended up saying no or never gave me an answer. Now, luckily for me, she turned it out to be a crazy person and I turned out to find the love, found the love of my life. But what I learned at that time is professional, professionals are always persistent. Would you like to go to prom with me? Or would you like to make some magic happen? And, and more often than not, that, that 
exact message, maybe a few tweaks. I might be butchering a little bit, but that exact message has gotten more responses than almost any other, any other ghosting message that we've ever sent. Cause people love that. It's, it's funny. People love that. It's re it's, it's relatable, but also that you're not being so serious and needy. Um, and it's the last text that you send if you're like ready to give up on the prospect. I like that. And I think if you can add humor into anything in life, it just kind of yes. brings the guard down no matter what yes. you're doing. So I love that you do that in text. We do not do that. That's something that I can uh, potentially implement for people who are getting ghosted. But I will add or that video. our top or video. I like that too. Like a custom loom video, send it over their way. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Our top closer is the one that follows up the most. He is agreeably annoying he knows how annoying he is but like you said man we're busy I, if i'm talking to somebody from a sales department for something and they don't follow up with me there's no chance i'm buying that thing there's very little chance that i'm need i'm needy or having enough pain where i'm gonna like go to their website enough times and, and and buy something you need to text me and i don't mind i like to have a relationship with that salesperson and man if he adds me on instagram linkedin and i'm not starts to like become part of my social circle, then I'm even more, more of a chance that I buy from that person. So that's one thing that I recommend our sales team do is after that sales call, try and actually build a relationship, learn a little bit about their life. And if you have uh, an impressive social following or you're somebody credible that that person will be happy to have in their network, then go network with them. Uh, and that, that's moved the needle a lot for, for us as well. I love it, man. Yeah. The, the more personal touch, I even, I even like that you're adding them on social platforms. That's, that's amazing. I would even say like, even if you don't have a, a huge social media following, the fact that they can see you like out having, having um, a coffee with friends or, or going out with your girlfriend or going out with your wife, that they can see that you're a human being that wasn't just trying to get something, but like you're a trustworthy human being. Um, that's why some of the best companies in the world have co-founders, right? Is because it, it makes people feel that they're trustworthy, which you are. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you're not listening to it because you're trying to get over on people. You're getting, you're listening to this podcast. You're probably a great human being. Now just showing people that you are is super cool. I love that. Right. Humanizing sales a little bit. And I think as we go mm -hmm. into like the next decade, it's going to be a lot more of that people buying from companies and people that they have personal relationships with rather than just like the old 1970s car salesman who's trying to jam something down your throat. Uh, Brian, what do you do for tracking? One thing that's made a huge difference in my sales organization is actually having the numbers and putting them everywhere at all times for everyone in our sales department and marketing department to see. Do you do anything like that? Uh, when do you review them? Uh, and what kind of numbers should you be looking at? Yeah. So at our company, we like to track the values that we want our company to represent. So a couple of things. Um, the first and foremost, the number that we track is the number of lives that are impacted, right? And what that does for our sales team, it doesn't focus on the dollar value first. It focuses on the impact first, right? Because if we can uh, reinforce um, the right values in our salespeople, if we can make them more heart-centered and make them focus on the, the impact that we're making, versus the, the dollar amount that the business gets or the dollar amount that they're getting. It's, it's not just talking the talk about we wanna change lives, it's, it's actually showing that that's what's most important to us. So that's number one. Then the second is you gotta make sure that you're feeding your salespeople. So the number one metric that has been shown to increase the number of, of 
of wins on our team. We call them opens, but wins. Other people would call them closing is tracking cash collected that week, right? So rather than focusing on, so first and foremost is the impact, right? How many people's lives were changed because of our efforts? Second is, what is what are the call out numbers? This week, how much cash will you collect? Because what happens is the sales teams and people tend to make a lot of concessions, right? Mm -hmm. It's like payment plans or discounts or specials, and they tend to rely on discounts specials and all these different types of things in order to use as leverage, right? Well, but those aren't always there. The best salespeople, like you mentioned, the most consistent and, and one of the most consistent numbers that you can track is cash collected, not uh, deals closed, right? So we, we measure that number. And then uh, speed to lead is one of the most important ones, as you know, right? So speed to lead, like how quickly did you follow up when you said you were going to follow up or did you leave that person hanging um, or how quickly did you call that prospect when they entered their forms online? Speed to lead is another big one that we track. Um, so what's, what's speed that, to just lead? Like friendly competitions are, is, is fun as well. Yeah, we do, we do competitions. We use a tool called Plecto uh, for anyone listening who has a sales organization. They make it really cool to like gamify the sales process. So you can like race to how many deals or how much cash. Uh, you can pull different metrics, like how many calls and proposals they sent, stuff like that. Uh, and it makes our sales manager's job really easy. They can just look at this and see automatically who's performing, how many calls they're doing, how many deals they're putting in, uh, new, new clients, new, new, new cancel. So really cool tool to check out. Uh, Brian, I'd love to spend a few minutes uh, here talking about sales organization structure. You mentioned time to lead. That's a super important uh, metric and something that can be tough to do if you're a smaller organization. Uh, and we don't have our closers being the first ones to follow up because there's a lot of leads that come in that are not qualified and it can be a waste of time for our, our sharks out there. Um, so we have a, 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 like a three level structure. I guess it's four level now that we've got sales managers in place. We've got, we call them SDRs, sales development reps. We actually copied Hermosi's entire structure on this. BDRs, business development reps, and then ARs, account reps. Those are the closers and then the sales manager. Uh, and typically the SDRs are overseas uh, in the Philippines. They're doing the data research. They're figuring out who might be a good client for us, feeding our BDRs who are here in the U.S. They're awesome. Now we've got a, a, an incredible team of people who want to make the six figures, want to be an AR and are, and are on like a one-year plan to do that. They're the ones typically doing speed to lead. So when a lead comes in, they call them. Uh, they're screening everybody. They're taking low, low ticket. Uh, an, an unqualified sales calls, trying to trying to close a lower ticket product. And then our ARs are obviously our, our big time closers. They're all making well under their six figures right now. What do you, what kind of structure do you have in your company? What do you recommend? Uh, and how would you recommend somebody to start thinking about building their own sales team when they're still a relatively small organization? Mm. Yeah, our structure is a little bit different. So we're a sales agency. So on our agency side, we work with people in the high ticket space who have products that are either 5K, 10K or more. And so we don't focus as much on the outbound as we focus on what, what do we do once the call is booked on calendar. So in our particular space, we're in the, the education space or the mm -hmm. information space. Uh, we like to say the information that creates a transformation in human beings life. So if someone is trying to learn um, a new business model on how to run challenges online and they pay 25K to do so, they're paying for their education. That education will reap them rewards for a long period of time. 
So our structure is very unique. It's a very short sales cycle for our company. Uh, we got someone book on our calendar. They, they immediately get reached out to because we don't wait until the calendar date. We, we reach out to them immediately. Who does right? that Just reach to create out? That point of contract and lower down the friction. So uh, the next best thing that you can do, if we found, is a smooth handoff, right? So rather than right. just booking from BDR to AE or account executive, um, instead of just like booking them on the calendar, creating an introduction. Hey, Bob, it was great talking with you today. Here's some of the three points that I got from our conversation. I wanted to personally introduce you to Jay, who is going to be um, taking, uh, taking you from here on our next call. I've, I've let Jay know what are your top priorities for bringing on a PR company and helping you get massive reach in the South Florida market. And um, he's going to be helping you. He's been thoroughly debriefed on your account. I'll let, I'll let Jay go ahead and take it from here. Right. So that personal introduction and that handoff is, is crucial because someone, someone knows, right. They know that they're going to someone who's going to be the quote unquote closer. And if they don't, maybe, maybe they're not a seasoned business person, but um, that smooth handoff and saying, wow, these people are efficient. Like you got to wow them in that transition process. What's the technicality? um, how do you technically the technicality of that handoff? Do you hand the phone to somebody in real time? Say you're you're yeah. on the phone, yeah. and then you oh let me go find my uh, find my friend, and then you hand him the phone. How do you do that handoff? Like what is the the technical yeah. aspect? Yeah, so it's going to be different based off of the different business structure, right? Like some people, it's like, hey, I'm going to put you on with a closer now, right? right. I'm going to go put you on with an AE now. In that particular instance, you want to transition. You want to try and have a software that. When you transition the call, it's like a three-way call. Hey, Jay, are you there? Hey, Jay, meet meet Bob. Bob is a chiropractor in South Florida. He uh, graduated from here, and he's looking to accomplish this, this, and this. Bob, did I get it right? Yes, you did. Awesome. Thanks so much. Here, I'm going to make the transition. Right. So that introduction via phone call, that would obviously be the best way. But if it's a um, a, a structure in which they're not making a, a handoff like right away, and it's like a, a like a 24 hour like time frame in between, then text is always a higher value than what email is. But email is a higher value if it has video, right? So you're gonna get a much higher open rate via uh, uh, email handoff. So if I can send an email introduction with you, Jay, and I was, I was just the BDR on the call, I may send an email with a video of myself. Hey. It was so great talking with you, Bob. I wanted to introduce you to Jay here. He's going to be taking you over. I briefly accounted like one minute email, uh, one minute video, and then putting in the subject line made a made a video for you. That is going to increase the open rate because, as we know, like less than twenty five percent of emails even get opened, right? But if it has video, you can increase that to over eighty percent. So. Um, you want to put video in there and then say introduction, something along those lines that would help that smooth transition, put a face to the name. So that's great advice. I'm going to steal that one from my own company. And just kind of going back to what SellUp does, you were talking about your sales structure. I think it sounds like a great solution for companies that don't have a fully built out sign of sales organization like, like we currently do. If you're just looking for yes. kind of trained closers to sell your high ticket products, that would be a good solution. Yeah, it's, it's the perfect solution. So what most people in our space, they've gotten really good at a couple of things. They've gotten really good at marketing and they've gotten really great at fulfillment. And maybe they're even an amazing salesperson, but you can't do all three. 
And right. most business owners get to the point where they try and become all three, right? They try and be on sales calls. They try and create fulfillment. And they also are great at marketing or they try and be great at all three. And while they might be capable of doing it, they only have so many hours in a day. And the number one thing that a business owner should be focused on is, is revenue generation, but also the quality of the service that you're providing. That's what makes you uniquely different. That's what makes you the expert, right? And so the person in between, there's like three things that happen, right? There's like top of the funnel and then there's the sales process and then there's the fulfillment side. That middle piece, that transition is where when people are scaling their businesses, they're asking themselves, how do I get more time to grow the business rather than working in the business? And the number one thing that requires time in those three processes is actually being on sales calls, right? Because if I'm, a, if I'm um, great at marketing, right, I'm the business owner, I can put in 30 minutes of work and it can yield me results for 30 days, right? Whereas a sales professional, that 30 minutes, it's either a yes or a no or a maybe on a sales call. And you have to continually get on those, especially the, the more complex the sale is for you. And so that is the one job that requires you to be present and live and spend time. There is a transition that happens when someone goes from a business operator to trying to become a fully scaled business. Usually that 500K to about $3 million mark, maybe even five, depending on the type of business where they're in a transition period. They don't have consistent lead flow to hire a manager, to hire a trainer, to hire a recruiter, and to hire salespeople. They don't have, an, they don't have enough juice coming into their business, mm -hmm. enough cash flow. So what we've done is we've gotten them in a place where we've taken over the sales manager, the sales trainer, the sales recruiter, and the sales team during that transition. So we are the closing team for them, but we also have managers, trainers, and a measure on the KPIs. Then once they've scaled beyond us, then we come in as a sales advisor and help them build out their own sales team. And so we do both, um, but the primary one, the primary one that we focus on is that 500K to $3 million mark business who is looking to get off sales calls or to have a higher closing rate than what they currently have with their team and hire it out. My life and happiness changed dramatically when I stopped taking sales calls every day. <laughs> so if you're an entrepreneur listening to this and you're still on sales calls, doing proposals, doing follow-up every single day, go call Brian. You won't regret it. <laughs> and uh, Brian, I, I wanted to end with some fun, fun questions here, uh, specifically uh, one that I'm super interested in all the time, which is software stacks. So I'm yes. curious what your tools of choice are for sales. What software are you on? Mm, it depends. Like, uh, are you talking about outreach strategies? Are you talking about measuring strategies? What are you talking? All of it. Measuring, outreach, uh, CRM. What are you yeah. using? Yeah. So I think right now, as you as you mentioned, you mentioned Hermosi, and I think one of the biggest things that people are overutilizing, um, and it, it's yielding lower results than it ever, not ever has, but over in the last three or five years, is is Facebook and Instagram marketing right? Like paid ads, they're still getting great results. Um, but the return isn't what it was seven years ago, right? It isn't what it was eight years ago when the industry started booming, right? And so you got to find other ways. The one method that is true, tested, and will stand with the, 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 
the efforts of time, right? I may have said those words the wrong way, but Test of we'll time. stand time is outreach. It's outreach. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta reach out to people. That means I make a hundred calls a day. I make 50 calls a day. I make 30 calls a day. What results is it going to get me? It's the only thing that is fully measurable, right? Without sending something out into the ether and then hoping I get things back. So um, we use a tool for outbound cold email called outreach. I'll just leave you with this one that we love. Outreach. We found that the open rates and the return rates are, are the highest. Outreach.io. Yep. Outreach.io. Um, we have HubSpot as well. We've just found that um, outreach is doing a better job for us. It's a way to have a harpoon effect. It's probably not great for you if you have a lower ticket, um, if you have a lower ticket item, um, but it, it is good for you for people who are selling B2B. It's one of the best tools. Um, we use some LinkedIn automation software. There's two types of software, Connected and Expandy. Connected and Expandy. Connected is with a K and Expandy is with an E. If you want to look those up, those are some LinkedIn automation tools. And then for video, we use Vidyard. Um, that integrates with our HubSpot. So you're able to send video through all of your follow-ups, which is drastically, drastically sets you apart from most people. Why? It's one of those last... Um, blue oceans, right? Mm -hmm. Because sending specific videos requires effort and it requires people to overcome the fear of being on camera. And so it's not something that every team it was going to use, right? Every team is going to get into ads and they're, they're going to get into different things. And you guys have some really great things that you're doing as well. Um, but, but sending uh, videos, Personalized videos is one of those last things that it, it, it's, it's almost impossible to replicate at scale for companies because you have salespeople that they don't even make the call. They're, they're afraid to text, right? right? So if you can get your sales team to use video, it, especially if you have higher ticket sales like 50K, 100K, 200K, whatever the deal is, it's very, very useful. So um, Vidyard is what we use and it integrates with HubSpot. So you do personalized video in your cold outreach? Cold outreach, yes, and follow-up. Wow, it's a lot of time. Specifically, it is a lot of time, but the higher the ticket sale, the more worth it it is, right? And once right. your team gets good at it, it's, it's 60 seconds, especially complex sales, Jason. Like if someone on this call is selling B2B to large business, right? You, there are multiple decision makers involved in that process, right? So what your team has probably come across is like, Hey, I'm talking to a C-level executive. They're like, yeah, let's do it. Only to get to the point in the sales cycle where they're like, well, wait, hold on. I got to go ask Bob from the accounting team. And then I got to go ask uh, Jarek, who is the CEO of the company. And then I got to go get approval from this company, right? And there's like multiple people involved in the decision-making process. The best way to control the sales cycle is to actually film a video, like a quick presentation, like, hey, Jay, I know that you're introducing this to Bob. Hey, Bob, I just wanted to introduce myself to you, put a face to the name and walk you through the three things that I talked to Jay about on this call and the three things that we're going to be able to help you solve in the next six months by using our services or by getting you guys some PR. I'm going to have my BDRs that way, try that. It, in that way, it's not a, a game of telephone. Right. The, the salesperson is still controlling the messaging and no one can sell better than a professional salesperson, not someone within a company who's scared of like throwing ideas out there because they might lose their job. Right. So. I love that. I appreciate it. I'm going to have my BDRs uh, start that on Monday. That's good stuff. At least I yes, see sir. what happens with the reply rates. 
Uh, Brian, last question. People who are listening to this and want to get better at sales, I would love to hear from you some resources that they can look, look into, whether that be books or experts that do a lot of great YouTube content or courses. What are some things that you can recommend people uh, purchase and consume to hone their, their sales skills? Yeah, I'll first start with this. The most talented sales professional is very rarely the top performer. It's not the person with all the fancy techniques. It's what you said earlier, Jay. It's the person who follows up and can sell themselves every day. Mm-hmm. That's the key. It's the person who can sell themselves to do the actions that they don't want to do. The boring, monotonous stuff, the stuff that they don't want to do, the stuff that's not easy to do. That is the top performer in almost every company. So if you're, if you're someone who's like, I'm so good at sales, but I'm not getting, if, if you're not, if you're in sales and you're not making two or 300 K a year, you are not a varsity salesperson. Right. And there it's because you haven't sold yourself on something. So what I would say, if you want to go get the knowledge, one of the best books to read is not necessarily a sales book. It's just a timeless classic. Uh, There's a million man, but uh, how to win friends and influence people, even though it's like the easiest, like everyone's read it, not everyone's read it. They've opened the book, but they haven't read it. It's all about how to make other people feel good. Right. And remember, people don't buy from people they don't like. They buy from people who they know, like, and trust. Everyone knows this. That's what PR is for. That's what you guys are amazing at. And so that that's a timeless book. And if you're looking for free content, I got free content all over the place for you. Right. And if, if I'm your flavor, then baby, I'll give you all 31 flavors. You can find whatever type of sales content that you want. Outreach, closing techniques, follow-up strategies. I got it all. More uh, text like the prom text that I shared earlier on this. You can go find me on my Instagram, which is Brian Mayroll, or um, we got some free trainings for you guys as well. And you can go check those out at wesellup.com forward slash sales training. Wesellup.com forward slash sales training. You can go there. And then we also have some free giveaways wherever you guys reach us out. Just to say, hey, I heard you on Jay's podcast. and We'll just throw you a bunch of free content. Nice and easy. I appreciate you doing that for everybody, Brian. And you've got a five-step framework for sales that you did in Tony Robbins that I will also include the download link for in the show notes and every link that Brian just mentioned. All you got to do is click on the on the description. You'll be able to access all of those, including Brian's social. If you want to go annoy him on Instagram, I highly recommend doing that. Uh, he, he enjoys it. Uh, but Brian, uh, any any final final notes uh, for the audience here? Uh, man, my my usual podcast run about thirty minutes, but I love sales. Clearly, we we went about an hour, so I I know everyone got a lot of value here. Uh, some so any, any final notes for the listeners here? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that was really hard for me to realize, and I'll be a little bit vulnerable here, is after leaving Tony Robbins, it doesn't matter how much you know if no one knows who you are. Yeah, right. You could be the best salesperson in the world. You could be the best doctor in the world, but if no one knows who you are, it's not as relevant. And what Jay and his team have been able to do is help get people knowing who you are because you're an, you're probably an amazing business owner. You're probably an amazing salesperson, but the more marketable that you are and the more people who know you, the more that you're going to convert. So don't ever, don't ever dim your light from getting seen by other people. And so you crush your sales skills, but make sure people know who the F you are. And just to kick back, if you're listening to this and you're still taking sales calls, you heard this guy speak. There wasn't a single question I asked him that he didn't have a perfect answer for. So if you're if you're looking on uh, 
outsourcing your sales, freeing up your time, gaining back control over your business and becoming an owner, go check out SellUp. Check the link in the description here. And Brian, it was an honor to have you. Thank you for spending an hour with me uh, talking about sales, chopping it up. I had a blast and I know the audience got a ton of value out of this and I did as well. So thank you, brother. Blessings, brother. Blessings, guys.